women do feel very, very powerless and very, very vulnerable. And I think a lot of women's anger, such as it is, comes from that feeling of powerlessness mm-hmm. and comes from a feeling of kind of defensiveness. All you have in the end is your is your anger. Welcome to Women Are Mad, where we invite women to bring their anger into everyday conversation. We're all feeling it. Let's get together to work out what to do with it. I'm Jennifer Cox. I'm Salima Saxton. I'm Jane Green. So what's made us mad this week? Jane? Um, Honestly, for me, it has been the costs of medical care in america because i because i live here um and i just went to get a treatment today and i suppose i presumed that it would be covered by insurance because i pay a fortune for insurance mm. and of course i get there and they say you know it's not covered by insurance and can we have thousands of dollars please and oh, um, oh gross and do you know 95% of bankruptcies in this country are because of medical bills and people get sick go into hospital and then are stuck with bills for hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that is making me very angry today. Oh, my God. I I can't follow that with my really banal one um, because it's it's just, you know. You can follow it with a banal one. That's okay. Go on, follow it with a banal one. It's a total non sequitur, but it's really, it's been on my mind. A man thought that he should really carefully describes me the difference between mood disorders and thought disorders and the man was not himself a mental health professional he was in fact an architect um <laughs> and it was well it was it was mansplaining wasn't it it was mansplaining it was, or the heat eating yes exactly or well, not heat eating but yes, he couldn't hear me say that mm. i yeah that i might have known more than him it, there was no room for that well, actually, I, yeah, mine, I'm going to swap stories because mine links really, I had a similar experience, except um, a very kindly lady in many ways decided to explain to me what it was like to be half Pakistani, half English when she was completely Anglo-Saxon English and explained to me the other day what, what it was like for oh. me growing up as a child being mixed race in the 80s in like rural Cambridgeshire Um and she did it with in a very well-meaning, kindly way. So it didn't leave me in an easy space to say, but you don't know. That's you don't know because oh, what, what what was her experience of growing up? Her experience a, of growing up this, yeah, yeah, was what was she drawing on? Well yeah. she was yeah, she wasn't she was drawing on her imagination, but her yeah, experience and it was and her yeah. experience was that it was very um, difficult and I had racial slurs on a daily basis and it was, you know, very complex. Um, you know, that that it wasn't my personal experience in uh, the countryside, partly because of my, I mean, I'm justifying it now. It's so funny. That it wasn't my experience. Yeah. And then, then my experience changed actually as I got later and race entered in a very different way. But, that, but anyway, she got it totally wrong. Um, and it was hard for me to go, no. Because she was saying it with a big uh, smile. Anyway, yeah. that's quite aggressive in its own way, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely. A big smile that you can't interrupt yeah. or break yeah. into. Well, yeah. I, and I think hmm. it's it's it, it's it's sort of thoughtless, and it's the the guilt that that I think white people carry in trying to sort of trying to say what she's trying to say. I think is I I understand you. I understand that yeah. you know that life, but actually. Probably. Let me listen to you. Probably would be probably, better. 
bit racist maybe I hate to say it, but I think so. Yes. I think let me let me listen to you and you tell me about your experience would have been a better way of going about it, perhaps. Yeah. But anyway, should we welcome our guest? Yes. So yes, our please. guest today, I'm delighted to tell you, is my dear friend Esther Walker, a very acclaimed journalist who not only writes for the Times, the Telegraph, and the Daily Mail, like yourself, Jane. Um, she's also behind the brilliant On The Spike blog and weekly newsletter. She is a mad cat lady, a dispenser of excellent words of wisdom when one is crying down a country lane, whoever that one might be. Please welcome Esther Walker. Hello. Ooh, hello. Welcome, hello. Esther. Uh, Esther, can, can I ask you a question? Can we just jump straight in with our questions? Yeah, love questions. Tell us what makes you angry. Um, do you know what? So little makes me angry these days because I feel like I've, I feel like at some point in my twenties, I, I got so angry that I almost kind of passed. Like I think I like broke my anger, kind of muscle. Like I broke <laughs> my spleen or something, and it kind of did. I was, I was the angriest person I think probably in the world until I until when I don't know when it was but I I started to realize that I had a reputation for being really really angry and kind of really losing my temper at quite small things and it actually uh and it was I was quite I was an angry woman like before my time do you know what I mean like it Mm. wasn't fashionable this was the 90s when everybody was a Barbie girl right and you were supposed to just be really 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 nice all the time and being angry just really was like it was like a really bad look like it was bad I was genuinely angry I wasn't putting it on I was how did it look for you what what being angry all the time Mm -hmm. I got angry about basically everything I got angry about I mean like injustice like to me generally and like I would get irrationally furious with people for making annoying noises or saying annoying things I'd just be like what shut up what is wrong with you you know like that it was quite it was quite aggressive and I would get very very angry um at my student newspaper um so I was at Bristol which had this terrible student newspaper called Epigram it's like I think it's the only student newspaper in the UK never to have won an award for anything I mean literally nothing they give out awards to student newspapers for like best font and stuff zero it was a terrible terrible but we had a wonderful time we had a really great time and if anyone like I was always incredibly defensive and if anyone ever questioned anything I'd done or anything like that I used to really really lose my rag really badly and it's actually really it was a it was like it was a bad look so these days the things these days I find that I increasingly get really angry in my car like I like road rage was never a thing that bothered me but like recently I've noticed that I've really got to like calm down when I'm in the car because I do like Jenny I'm not a violent person but I do kind of have a think about you know maybe screeching to a halt in front of them and like getting out of my car and just being like this maybe it's because I live in Kentish town and everybody's a bit like that but may I butt in for a second because I actually think you're very good at anger that's what strikes me about you as as a mate you're very good at anger because you're not scared of being angry with friends for example you're you're very good at you're, we've had situations where don't raise your eyebrow at me. Where you're, you're, you're <laughs> are you angry? <laughs> no, but you're you're good at 
you put it into a kind of you, you often do it with humor right so i think you use humor to kind Crafty. of go slima that's a terrible idea you're making me a little bit cross now but you make it quite funny it's a bit like when i text you pictures of dresses and you go that's disgusting never wear that <laughs> yes but i know but that's because i know that you that's because i know that you will take it in the spirit in which it's intended so that so that that's mm. fine but i do i think that you know um another you know another thing that, and i'm also not kind of really angry i mean sometimes you do think sometimes when you're sometimes when you salima are like blundering into a situation of your own creation which we all know is going to make you really unhappy I sometimes do get a bit annoyed because on a level with like my children repeatedly doing something stupid that's going to upset Sorry. them do you know what I mean so like okay, that, but, that's okay, the but, thing that makes you quite angry okay hang on hang yeah on. but you're also very good at being incensed on your friend's behalf and then yes. you don't take it personally when I go it's a rubbish idea or no that makes me feel whatever you're yeah. you're not threatened by other women's anger or fury or whatever no no well, I grew up in a very 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 combative household so, so I grew up with I had three sisters and my dad uh, is an academic my dad wasn't at all angry he's not an angry person he was he was perfectly nice but he was quite strict and there was no like <clears throat> there was no like winding daddy round your little finger like there was none of that like he did not respond well to that what he responded well so to, it's just very straight talking yeah yeah very straight talking and mm. it, they, and you you could, it, it, there was no there were no points for like feminine wiles there was none of that you know he responded well to like a flip chart with pie charts and like backup facts and that's how you got around my dad if you wanted him to do something or you wanted something you had to kind of make your case for it like a management consultant basically so uh so I wasn't as a result, like I was wasn't scared of anyone when I left home, and I and, and my mother also had a horrific temper and used to smack us quite a lot, and also got very very angry. Um, and like my sisters got quite angry as well. My sisters had bad tempers, and we kind of fought and stuff. So, do you think you yeah. all got angry back with your mum then for being so no? Angry, oh my god, no! When mum was angry, it was like god was angry it was really it was genuinely scary and also she used physical violence you know she'd hit you like hard so mm. there was like you didn't you didn't really back chat mom and you didn't back chat dad because like he wouldn't really know what you were doing or talking about and he'd just kind of get up and walk away so yeah so I left so I left a very very combative um you know household and then went to a boys school where that sort of like strong talking and like telling it like it is, mm. um, was normal. It was like par for the course. Like that's how we spoke to each other. And then I got to university, like I got to university, I got to Bristol and everybody was just so nice. It was just- Very polite. Kind of, like, oh my God, so polite to each other. All like that. And it was all, and it was a real currency, you know, like being a nut. Oh, but she's so nice. And I'd be like, yeah, but she's also boring and stupid and not funny. And that <laughs> just wasn't, People were just like, oh my God, Esther's really horrible and angry all the time. And I, so I had to kind of re, I had to sort of learn a kind of nice femininity in my age kind of 19 and 20 that everybody else had learned years ago that I missed out on because it wasn't valued in my house. But it seems then actually that you weren't angry. You were sort of passionate. You spoke your mind. And you said it like it was, and that it, that was the issue. And and I'm wondering whether then other people's reactions to that really riled you. That's that's that was the injustice. 
you make quite a good point there. I'd never really thought about it like quite like that. But yeah, I, I think maybe you're right. I think that I would, you know, yes. I, now, you, now you say that, um, I think you might have a point there, actually, because I would say, well, that's just not going to work or something. And my The thing that will make me put my fist through a window even now is someone, anyone who goes, ooh, like that, or like, <laughs> you're really angry. When I'm like, I'm not really angry. I'm just pointing out that that's not going to work. Um, that's how I talk. Yes, mm. calm down, calm down, calm down. Um, oh my it. god, yeah, that's the worst. Um, I, but Esther, I have, <laughs> I have a question for you, which is that in your twenties, when you were being very angry and you were in the workplace, then so you'd left your left your family, um, not in your family home anymore, out there in the world, making friends, seeing friends. Did you lose friends over it? Did you? I mean, was it ever? Did it ever get in the way? I certainly didn't make friends because of it. You know, I've never, I've never been fantastic at making friends because I don't really. Someone uh, begs to differ. Someone begs to differ here. Yeah, because that's part of the reason I think you're so brilliant. I really no, like no, you. No, no, but I don't. No, I know, but like you're, but like you're one of my like very few friends. Like you're one, you're one of my, you're one of my, yeah. But mm. I, I don't have like a million friends because mm, okay. I don't because I'm not prepared to like compromise on like the my tone of voice or or anything. Like if I'm trying to like suck up to someone, I can just about do it. But it can I just say uh, this is really interesting to me because I'm thinking mm. about how many women think they have hundreds of friends and have lovely, lovely relationships with each other, but are total bitches behind the other's back. And right. and how there's something really, really dispiriting about this because actually it's as if there are these morsels that we're all scrabbling around for in the dirt and we kind of grab for them and we have to stand on each other's heads to get them. And and there's such a sort of an anti-woman sentiment behind that. Whereas actually, if we could be more upfront and just say, no, that's that's mine and and I've worked for that, or or, this is my but I want to share it with you I'm not threatened by that let's support each other then that feels like just a whole different kind of approach to this to this problem like it doesn't need to be such a dichotomy of someone that you know speaks their mind and has three friends or maybe less um and, and someone who's super I bet <laughs> someone who is super popular but actually can't really trust the people that are around her okay but you're slightly feral I think if you like that <laughs> <laughs> and I mean that as a really huge compliment because I never know quite if I ask Esther a question she could say anything okay she really could say anything but it will be truthful so uh, I, to- I will know, but I will also, but I've also been brought up to fight desperately for the attention of grown ups. And one of the ways that you get a grown up's attention is to say something outrageous that that nobody else will will dare say. And I'll do anything for a laugh as well. So there's kind of a lot kind of wrapped up in that. And it's all about, I mean, the people who are my friends are the people who understand that underneath that there is a nice person, like quite far underneath that. But no, I'm but, I, but you're doing laugh. you're doing yourself a disservice in that, yeah, you will do anything for a laugh. I've seen it in action. But also you will it your your heart is very big in that you will always you'll say it in whatever cantankerous way you might say it, but you're saying you'll you'll swim through the anger quite happily and you'll and you'll confront things. Yeah, I'm pro you. Well, well, clearly you're such a suck yeah. up. Stop it. I but know, no, it's I, disgusting. It's, um, it's, uh, <laughs> but like, but I think I think anger. I think anger is mm. I think anger in women is 
so I've been thinking a lot about this recently, right? Because I've been writing a lot of, for some reason, all the things I've been writing at the moment come back to like a very activistic like interpretation of why women behave the way that they do. And I'm not sure that I really like that interpretation. I'm not sure that we should, I, I, you know, nobody wants to be like slave to like a pre-enlightenment kind of very sort of basic way of operation. But unfortunately, a lot of it does make quite a lot of sense. And I think that who was I? To, what was I? What piece was I writing when it said when I was when I was someone said that women are in? Oh yeah, so I was writing a piece about like trolling, like online trolling, like um, Tattle Life and not Kiwi Farmers, but like there are there are millions of these sites all over the place where they basically like women go on to like take down basically influencers right because like celebrities like i don't know emily blunt or madonna or whatever they're just too distant and far away and what we think and say just has no impact whereas influencers like online influencers whatever they are basically created by their followers so if you as a follower decide that you want to go online and attack them there is a genuinely like maybe like a five percent chance that they will see what you've said and you can have, have actual like agency in something and i was talking to this psychiatrist about it and she said you know women do feel very, very unheard and powerless in a lot of areas of their life. I mean, perhaps, perhaps not us, but, you know, I'm, I'm talking about disenfranchised women who feel kind yes, of vulnerable and for that. Yeah. downtrodden, you know, mm-hmm. and I don't, don't mean that, and I do, really don't mean that in a pejorative kind of patronising way. I mean, this is the lived reality of a lot of women, right? Mm-hmm. They are, they are just vulnerable and, doing a shit job and badly paid and abused in other areas of their life. And one of the ways in which they can feel agency and feel community and feel power is in this act of like taking down an influence. They won't see it as trolling, right? They don't see it as morally bad. They see it as taking part in a community activity, which also has some kind of social justice element. But what the psychiatrist was saying that was what was very interesting is how women do feel do feel very, very powerless and very very vulnerable. And I think a lot of women's anger such as such as it is comes from that feeling of powerlessness mm-hmm. and comes from a feeling of kind of defensiveness. All you have in the end is your is your anger. Well, this is where I think this kind of idea of the bitching maps onto the trolling thing because it's um it's a projection, isn't it, of like the the really inferior feeling parts of ourselves onto others. And for that split second, you feel like you've got it. You feel like you've got that power. And mm. it's really desperate and really really depressing, but especially when it is essentially kind of the oppressed doing it to each other. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. I mean, women very rarely. I mean, I don't. I think private. I mean, I. I, I do um, it myself, though. I have to admit. Well, the I mean, thing I'm... is that we do it all the time, don't we? So, yeah, but the thing is that, I mean. but I think, I think privately, I think I, I don't, I, 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 I don't think it is unreasonable or anti-feminist or unsisterly to say that having those sorts of private conversations with your friends about mostly about someone that you're not friends with and you genuinely don't like it's a way of communicating with each other and it's a way of like bonding with each other you know I am okay and you're okay because we both dislike the same person Mm -hmm. personally I do I am not unkind about my friends behind their back because why would I? I wouldn't be friends with someone I would be unkind about. Like, why would I do that? I've only got four friends or three friends. So why would I be mean about them, you know? But I do think that, you know, Selena and I have a few shared 
nemeses who we are not friends with so we don't it's not we're not doing anyone a disservice but we do slightly bond over how much we well and i think there's a there's an issue then with with this a bit because how how we're told that we're bitching you know it's kind of women gossiping or bitching which is really derogatory it's another way of sort of intimating that the way women communicate with each other is itself problematic mm. and sort of less than because well, yeah. actually, it can be quite enriching. And Go also, on, often Selena. I've just talked about an experience that I've had and said, God, am I mad? This is what happened to me. And then we're dissecting the experience. And there, yeah, there are people involved in that experience. And it's I'm very complex it. being a woman and navigating this stuff. Right. Jane, what do you feel? We've rabbited on. No, no, it's it's okay. I mean, you, you've, you've all got a lot to say. I, It's all, it's... I, I don't the gossiping thing is is I think that women often um often want to create they want to create a false sense of intimacy. And so often that that can come from that sort of hate bonding or or that, right. you know, that when you find that you have somebody in common that you you don't like, I think it's quite easy to do that. And completely agree with Esther. I, I'm very, very anti um talking about your friends in any any derogatory way at all because honest whenever I've heard somebody do that to me about somebody that it's a mutual friend, you know it's only a matter of time before your head is on the chopping block. Yeah. Um, and um <laughs> yeah. so so yeah, I agree. I think I was just thinking about anger as well. And I'm I'm just I Esther, I don't you know, I, I live on the other side of the pond and and I don't haven't met you before. Um but it strikes me one of the things that I'm fascinated by listening to you is that you you seem to be enormously self-possessed um and you seem to your energy almost strikes me as being quite masculine um and i yes i've always thought that (laughs) yes and and so and i'm i'm kind of fascinated because you i feel like you're somebody who doesn't fall into those traps of people pleasing and those very traditional things that we women tend to so we will we're chameleons and we'll sort of turn ourselves into who we think we need to be in order for people to like us and in order to fit in. And and I'm just fascinated by listening to you and and you do not seem to be like that at all. And and I guess I'm thinking about your childhood and growing up in a in a very angry household, which I did as well, and thinking about the childhood reactions, mm. you know, that fight, flight, or freeze. Um and and it it seems that you you fought. I mean, not perhaps to your parents when you were young, but that was the... the you took the fight out with you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, but I, I guess really, what I didn't, I didn't see... Yeah. Well, I'm just... I'm interested in sort of what... In how you changed it, really. How how you went through your 20s being angry and exploding at people to reaching this stage of your life. Was it a conscious decision? Did you have to work on it? Did you have to get into some kind of routine of good habits you met the serene uh, yeah Jones. I, I think yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> i think it was a, it was a common it, well i think it was just i think it was sort of just good good old-fashioned growing up actually and also under, understanding and realizing that even though the qualities my dad used to call me a ball of avenging fury and he always meant it as a compliment and he always thought it was funny and he always, my mother thought I was very, well, she's, they're both still alive. My mother thinks I'm very funny. 
and they thought I was funny when I was really having a go at so something. So it was really quite celebrated, actually. Mm. Yeah, there was no problem with it. You know, it was mm. just, you know, Esther was a very, very um, stubborn and determined and angry person. And the, and the stories about me were told with great relish. Um, well, so did and, you make a conscious decision then to sort of dampen it down or, or kind of yeah, sublimate definitely. it? Yeah, definitely. And I think that I think that really it was a couple of things. And one of them was sort of entering the workplace. Because so I started to get the inkling at university that I needed to kind of maybe, maybe cool it a bit, because it didn't wasn't getting me anywhere. And, uh, and then when you enter the workplace, then you do you have to play that game, and you do have to try and be charming. And um, it wasn't that I wasn't able to be charming. I mean, I was a, I did understand what being charming was, but but you have to be really charming when you're in a creative industry like journalism or writing because it just you just you just do. I mean, you have to get people to like you, and particularly you know if you are. I was I was a gossip journalist for a long time, and when you're at a party with famous people, and you have to go up to them and say hello, Jane, I love your book so, so much. And I was just wondering if you would tell me what you think about Salman Rushdie. You know, you have to be nice and you can't, you can't just, you can't, you, you can't be sort of angry. Although I did, I did get very angry at, I mean, I was fine at the, uh, I worked for The Independent for a bit and I did find them all very, very, a very sexist organization and very sh- chauvinist and I'd never come across that before mm-hmm. when I was at the times they've just they they thought you were brilliant whether you're a boy or a girl they just wanted you to do the work the evening standard famously they were a bunch of absolute headbangers and you know they just gave you respect for bringing in your stories at the independent it was very much like well you can do this kind of story because you're a girl and it just you know mm-hmm. like all prejudice it was quite difficult to define you know you can never kind of put your finger on this you know like any and you know my friend my friend Raj who was a who was a he he was Indian and he went and worked in the in the city and had a you know he was a, he tough but he had a, he had a bad time with that kind of stuff at the city and I remember complaining to him I remember saying I just I just think they're all really sexist in my job but I can't think of an example and he said to me you never can the true prejudice you ne- you can't so tell. insidious said, if you feel it he Oof. said if you feel it it's probably there. And coming from him, I just thought that was a really kind thing for him to say. But anyway, so, but yeah, so as a journalist, you do have to kind of construct a veneer of charm. And, and it's a kind of, it's a, it's a positive reinforcement, right? So the more I kind of was sort of nice and less angry and a bit more charming, the more it worked until I got to the independent. And then I just lost my shit all the time because they were just, they, they were just, they just treated me so badly and they were so rude and incompetent. And I just thought I just, cannot put up with this and it wasn't for me as well it was like my colleagues so this this is making me because we like to ask about people's angriest moment and I'm wondering if this for you sounds like it could be it, it would cluster around that because there's something about this sort of really insidious really tucked away covert um sexism or prejudice that you can't react to that I wonder whether that really would sort of impact internally and and you'd be a bit stymied by it what do you think well I was I I knew what was I knew what was going on because the thing is that I'd worked at other newspapers so I knew that this is not how you run a newspaper and this is not how you treat your writers it just it just isn't and then I was also you know I was also going out with uh my boyfriend who's now my husband he's a very experienced journalist as well and I would say is this normal in a newspaper to do this? And he went, no, that is like not at all. So I had backup, right? And my husband is, my, my husband 
like really loses his temper. So um, like he would, he's really hard line about how you treat writers and how you treat journalists and you mustn't be chewed up by the machine. And sometimes I think he's slightly overreacting, but others, others, you know, he does have a good point. And, and I think that as a young, well, youngish journalist, I was 27 at the time. I was actually, you know, it, it was actually really useful to have someone having my back saying they can't treat you like that. Um, and, but then I went into the then then I went into the in, in into the newspaper kind of really kind of riled up <laughs> sort of really kind of wound up and like ready to was know, it useful to did that help you? Well, I just left um, and I, I and I I don't regret it because I I wasn't enjoying my job and I was unhappy. Um, but I think I could have I think I could have boxed a bit more clever. I sort of resigned in a bit of rage. That was probably my angriest moment. Um, and my and I went home and I went, right, I resigned. And he went, why did you resign? Why didn't you wait for them to fire you? Because they've got to pay you if they fire you. And I just sort of went, oh, shoot, shoot. I forgot about yeah. that. Can I ask a question about, because I know you write for, for The Times and you write for the, you write for the Daily Mail, um, yeah. as do I. Do you ever go, um, do you ever read the comments? No, never. No, my God. No, I want to sleep at night. Everybody <laughs> says the same thing, yeah. No, you can't. Just, Jane, Jane, tell me to, to this. Do you read the comments? You like do, you. don't you? I'm starting to read them less. I, I mm. sort of sometimes I find them quite funny that the kind of the virulent um, misogyny and anti-Semitism is, is breathtaking. Um, and wow. sometimes I uh, there's there is so much... Actually, because I'm the agony aunt, I quite, I'm still, I, I, I didn't really read them this week because I couldn't be bothered. And I, so I think I'm reaching a stage where I will not read the comments. But the first few weeks, it definitely made me feel even more resolute about the need for a wise, warm, compassionate voice out there because God, there are so many horrors, mostly men, angry, bitter, cruel. Yeah, you do get that. I mean, you get that all over the place and you get that at the times and you get that all over the place. And you can either you you do, I mean, but it is it is a choice and there is no um I push back would push back very, very hard at any editor or anyone who told me that I was that it was part of my job to engage with lunatics below the line oh. or lunatics on oh, Twitter yes. or no, lunatics on Instagram or any of that. Your he husband's really happy yes. to write he writes back, doesn't he? Which really amuses me in the comments. Yes, but my husband is very, very mad and confrontational, and <laughs> and, and, and and I have and I have, and, but but he's he's kind of way. I mean, because he he because he's kind of walked across hot coals with his comments, and because people know that he's there and he's reading and he's listening, and you and you might get a reply. I think that his below the line comments are have taken on a slightly different. Flavor. Yeah, he kind of owns um, it a bit more, maybe. Yes, and because mm. people know that he's there and he's read that he mm. is reading, and he might he's write back for it, and he mm. might write something quite nasty that might make you feel a bit unhappy or stupid, or make you look really stupid yeah. in front of other people. I but quite he's... like that. It makes people accountable. It's just, and that's the whole problem with being a keyboard warrior is you're not accountable to anyone. So I love that your husband is there as your great winged protector. Shaming. Yeah, no, not not me, not me, not me. He doesn't go blind. blind. I'm oh, banned from mine. No, 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 no. I have, oh. no, because, no, because he would set fire to them, and I don't want that. Oh, I mean, I have, so he does it on I, his own. On his own. Oh, part, he, he's not see. allowed anywhere near my work. He doesn't read my work. He doesn't go below the line. He's not allowed. But what, one one yeah. thing that I think 
you, I have noticed about you, part, partly with the, do you, do you remember that you used to wear keys around your neck when you collected the kids at school? Yeah. Yeah, I, I still always, do. Do you still? <laughs> no, but I think that is such a great tactic. We've discussed what, what's before, behind so. that. Where's that from? I, well, I think the keys around the neck. If I'm not wrong, Esther, tell me. But I feel like it's like it's a it's boundaries, which is what I was going to come to. Um, I think you use anger maybe partly as a really great boundary, which brings me back to I think you're really good at dealing with anger. Keys around the Wait, neck. Wait, I don't understand the keys around the neck. Which just not, makes I'm... her look quite official and kind of, she was always jingling them and she wouldn't stop. <laughs> I know. Well, I was like a Labrador <laughs> at the gates and kind of befriending, befriending and whatever. Was Esther was like, I've, I... got, I've got keys around my neck. I'm very busy. I, so I did wear, no, no, I did wear my, I wore my house keys and my car keys around my neck because when my children were small, I, uh, I found it quite difficult to concentrate on important things when they were with me because they would ask me a lot of questions and they would hand me a lot of things Mm -hmm. and I had a a slightly unfounded neurosis about dropping my keys down a great which I've never done before you know but I've just got this kind of you know like what what do you call it an intrusive thought about dropping my keys down a great and then I can't get into my car and I can't get home I would love Um, to dissect that yeah being sort of kind of locked out of my car or locked out you know um, and it almost like a vertigo thing. Do you know what I mean? So I thought, okay, I've got to get rid of this problem. So I used to, I, so I put my keys on a lanyard and I hung it around my neck. But I think, yes, I do agree. I think possibly unconsciously it was a go away thing. Yeah. Um, because I, I do want people to leave me alone and I don't want people to talk to me. <laughs> we, we really, really yeah, yeah. I had Esther, to work really how, hard. How do you bring in peace and calm? And what makes you happy? What makes me happy is, well, I do, I really do love my job and I really do love writing. And I really do, now that I've got more time to do my work, um, I am able to get back to doing what I love, which is um writing features so when my children were very small um I and I didn't really have any childcare because I find that the mummy nanny relationship incredibly difficult to navigate um and I didn't I don't understand nannies at all I don't understand why they behave the way that they behave and with the constant headaches and not showing up and being weird so I I didn't really have very much childcare so I was quite limited to the the work that I could do so I ended up writing about myself a lot I ended up writing about myself and I wrote about my children and I wrote about cooking and I basically wrote about things that I could write about without making any phone calls because was that quite therapeutic actually um yeah no I think I think Sitting with Necessary. a therapist for an for yeah. an hour a week in a clinical space is therapeutic, but, um, but not think, always. <laughs> uh, but I think that I think certainly writing about writing about those things is uh, was was not unpleasant, but um, it was definitely a means to an end. It was a way of staying employed uh, while also being able to look after my children. I do, if I could if I could erase every sort of personal piece. I've ever written from the internet than I probably would. Really? Um, but yeah, probably. Yeah. But not? don't you yeah, think you it's almost it. a mark of pride that you managed to keep your career going through those years? And that's what you have. That's the evidence. Uh, yes, I suppose so. I mean, I'm not, I don't really feel that sentimental about well, it in that kind but of way. Esther, but Esther, 
why a raise? What because you feel like you gave away too much? Yeah, definitely. Much. And also, I don't, I don't really write about my children anymore. And if someone okay. asks me to write to write a piece about my kids, I say no, thank you. And I also don't, don't, don't ever do photo shoots with them. And if my husband insists on doing a photo shoot with them, then I they they've got to be wearing glasses or a hat or something. A mask. It's just not fair, you know. They don't. Yeah, exactly. You know, a full mask. Um, because they're not. It's not their fault. They're the children writers. It really isn't. And they and they have. They're entitled to their privacy. So yeah, I do. I do sort of. But getting back to the thing about what makes me happy, I do just really. I just really enjoy a quiet moment just doing my job. I know that sounds really pathetic, but, uh, no, but when, you, when, when you spent years and years and years not able to do the thing that you like doing, when you actually get to get back to it and just doing, you know, just just doing the thing that I always wanted to do, which is calling people up and talking to them about subjects and then writing them down and someone puts it in the paper. I mean, it's really nice. It's, it's really, yeah, it's really good. Glorious. Oh, thank well, you so much, yeah, Esther. Thanks, Esther. This Esther. has been a dream. Well no done. problem. I'm, I have to say I'm a little bit scared of you, but I've really, really enjoyed Ooh. talking. <laughs> she will love that. She will, we'll dissect that, Jane. <laughs> she will love that. It's job done. Well, I'm not scared of any of you. Or <laughs> no, I know. Anything I know. Else. That's what makes you so scary. <laughs> <laughs> There is so much to unpack right now. <laughs> Thanks, love. Bye. So good you. Bye. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.